Let's go to John chapter 1. Also, let's dismiss the children now so they could go to children's church. John chapter 1, we're going to read from verses 14 through 18. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word of the Lord reads as follows. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John bore witness to him, and he cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. And from its fullness we have received, we have all received. It says there, we have all received. I'm going to say it again. And from its fullness we have all. Say with me, all. all. Yeah, we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made him known. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, your favor, your tender mercies, your love. You said in your word, Lord, through your prophets, you said that for God so loved the the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, Father, today we celebrate that. Lord, we remember. Uh, Lord, we share it. And I thank you for the privilege that you give us, not only just to share it, but be a part of it, Lord God. You, you've given us the privilege to be sons and daughters of God through Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we praise you, my God, for it. Uh, now I pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you reveal your word to us. Uh, open up the eyes of our understanding that we might be able to see. You're the light bearer. You're the one who brings light. You bring light to us, in us, and then through us. So, Father, we praise you for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. There, there are several very important truths in, in these particular passages, but we know from John chapter 1, when you read from verse 1 on, um, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, the verb of God, uh, is Jesus Christ. He is that mystery that Scripture talks about, God in the flesh. All God, all man. Amazing. The first thing I wanted to share is that when we consider the Christmas message, we really have to consider the source of the season, and that is Christ. But we understand this. In Jesus, that's how we see God. In Jesus, we see God because God is a spirit. But God in the flesh, Jesus, now, now we can see. Now we can look. Now we could taste. Now, now we could experience him. In verse 14 it says, The word became flesh and he dwelt among us and he was full of grace. He was full of truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as the only son from the father. Now, notice it says that we dwelt with him. We saw him. We were able to behold. We see God in Christ. Thank God for it. Because you cannot see God because he's a spirit. 
but we certainly can see God in the flesh, and that is Jesus. So that's one of the reasons why we celebrate Christmas. It is God's intent of making himself known to us. If you go a moment to Luke chapter 2, um, Luke chapter 2, I believe it's uh, somewhere in verse 20, verse 22. It says, in the vicinity there were shepherds. And I'm reading from the Amplified Version, so it might have just a little more than your version has. In the vicinity, there were shepherds living out under the open sky in the field, watching in shifts over their flock by night. Now, these shepherds, they were not famous folk. They were just average, hardworking folk. It's then suddenly, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by them, and the glory of the Lord flashed and shone all about them, and they were terribly frightened. Now, I don't know about you, but... If you see an angel, you'll get frightened. Angels are not little, fat little babies this big with little, you know, just these little bodies and really pretty, you know, wings just like this. No, an angel is a huge being, nine, 12 feet tall, ominous in presence. And as soon as you see one, you'll fall like a dead man. Anybody here been so afraid? You, you feel like, you know, you have no energy? Anybody here? That's happened to me. I, I've, I've experienced that. That is the weirdest feeling in the world where you want to do stuff, but you can't because you're so afraid. And as a child, I remember getting so afraid that, well, what I would do is when I get that afraid, I would run. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I learned how to run and run very fast. In my old community, you had to learn either to fight or to run. And probably when I'm still alive today, is I learned how to be very quick on my feet. <laughs> but these... these um, shepherds, they saw this angel and immediately they were terrified. And that's a normal thing. If you see an angel, you will be terrified. It's not like these programs we see on TV today. I don't know. I, I just get so upset sometimes and so offended. We could really use some of those millions of dollars that they're pumping into programs with these guys going with Geiger counters. Oh, it must be a spirit. Who are you? Reveal yourself. Listen. If that thing was to really reveal itself, those people would fall dead right there. You know, it's all show. They don't believe in that stuff. It's just about ratings and about lots and lots of money. And they know nothing's going to come out. One day it should. Maybe you and I, we should do something elaborate. You know, and make believe. Put a sheet on or something. I don't know. And, hey, I'm here. What the, what the world do you want? But the truth of the matter is, these guys were terribly afraid. And they said... Uh, the angel said, don't be afraid, for behold, I have good news. It's of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you this day, born this day in the town of David, a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. See, he was born also in a very humble place. The scripture said it was a very humble place. It was not a highfalutin place. It was not a palace. A little baby. But it, it, then it goes on to say, this will be a sign for you. Say with me, it's a sign. See, this was on purpose. They couldn't find any room at the hotel or the inn. But all of this was on purpose. God wanted to make sure that he was presented in such a form where he could be touchable. God wanted to make sure that humanity knew that he was coming in in such a way where they could come and see him. Because he was about ready to tabernacle with man. The word tabernacle in the Greek language does not mean just come and visit. It means come and move in. Yeah. So when you 
when you hear God saying, I want to tabernacle with you, he's not saying, I just want to come down a moment, visit you while you're worshiping me, and then go back up. No, so I want to come and move in with you so I can be close to you and you could be close to me. And I could touch you and you could touch me. So you can't touch God because he's a spirit. But in Christ, you could touch him. See, and he made sure that he was born in a very humble place. He didn't come to the kings. He didn't come to the rich folk. He came to you and to me, so to speak. Unless, unless there's a hidden millionaire among us. But guess what? He loves the millionaire too. The point is he was accessible to everybody. Amen. See, we create systems here on earth where very few can access it. And we do it on purpose. People buy homes in gated communities, right? They buy security systems. And I visited countries where it's absolute devastation out here. You enter a gate and suddenly it's paradise. I went to a place in, in Paraguay. We were ministering there. Uh, I was there with Helen uh, and a couple of other ladies, my wife. We, we had a wonderful time. Great. But we, we saw the land and, and, you know, there were areas that were devastated. But we went to visit this guy. He was a CEO of a company. And as soon as you open a big gate, you come in, and it's heaven. It's probably 20, 30, 40 blocks in there, confined. It all belonged to him and his family only. The community could not enjoy it. The community could not touch the CEO or his family. They were very exclusive. They had a pool in there. They had a huge home that any of us would love to live in. I mean probably an acre or two of, of their own land with their own fruits and their own vegetables. They had a place where they could play soccer, a whole soccer field. Awesome. But that's what we do. We want to separate ourselves from people so they can't touch us because we want this. Mine, 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 mine. We like that when children, we grow up, we, we get worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God, he says, no, no, I want to take what's mine and I want to bring it down to earth to share it with you. And I want to make it plain and simple. Nothing more plainer, nothing more simpler, nothing more beautiful than a baby. And here is a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth. In a manger. Now, we made it pretty, but the bottom line is, it was an animal den. That's where the donkeys were, I guess. Where the animals were, the horses were. <laughs> a stable. And not for you. Have you and not, not, or rather, not for nothing, but have you been in a stable before? Yes. The stable isn't the nicest, most cleanest place. The stable needs a little bit of Febreze. <laughs> Yet this is where God chose to first interface with mankind. And then he makes a special delivery notice Sending one of his angels to speak with shepherds. He said, go over there. I want to show you something. But this is going to be a sign to you. A sign. What? I'm seeing a child. Uh, it seems like he's a poor child. In a manger. In a humble town. We'll get a little bit, a little more about that in a little bit, a, a little bit later. I want to share a couple of things about that. But in Jesus, we see God. Then the second thing, God wants to be known. God wants to be seen through his son. That is his desire. In, in verse 18, it says, no one has ever seen God. The only son 
In the older manuscripts it says, the only God, who was in the bosom of God, of the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. And here's the point. God is spirit, but he reveals himself through his Son. Praise God. Today, we have ways to be able to identify invisible things, right? In case you have a little pain in your shoulder, you know, before, they used to have to open up the shoulder, right? If you had a pain in your back before, they used to have to open up the back and do a surgery or even just take a look. But today, they can lay you down on a machine and they can see through you, right? And they can see the invisible. So it's easy. But God made it easier. He put himself inside flesh and he came on earth for you and for me. He said, you want to see me? Jesus. Do you want to touch me? Jesus. Do you want to interface with me? Jesus. <laughs> and then Jesus on earth, he says, okay, I understand as a human, I, I can only be here a certain amount of time. But even when I leave, I'm going to leave you my presence. I'm going to leave you my word. I'm going to leave you my promises. I'm going to leave you my faithfulness. I'm going to leave you a model. And then I'm going to leave you this, a church. Yeah, because before he left, he says, now I want you 12. And it's interesting because even among the 12, we have one that was not thinking well. We have one that really wasn't with the plan. So he sent out people that were imperfect. He sent out businessmen. He sent people with bad tempers. Anybody here has a bad temper? Don't lift up your hand. It's all right. <laughs> all of us have a bad temper to various degrees. But the point is, is that, listen, they were all, it was a motley crew. But Jesus said, this will continue because you need to understand God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But on earth, we are only present. I cannot be here and in Brooklyn at the same time. See, Christ in the flesh could only be in Bethlehem or in Judea or in Samaria. He couldn't be all places at all times. But he certainly, by his presence in us, could be all over the world. You see my point? So he, he, God is present now in Christ by his presence. Amen. So wherever there's a believer who's filled with the Spirit of God... And by the way, that's also part of his gift. He fills you with his spirit, and his spirit is with you everywhere at any time, right? But he also fills the Chinese brother and sister with his spirit. Amen. The South and Central American with his spirit. The African man and woman with his spirit. The Europeans with his spirit. All over the world, his people are experiencing God on earth, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. See, so God wants to be known in Christ. So we ask ourselves, if you can't see God, how is God like then? Interesting, because when you see Christ, what do you see? You see love. God is love. What did Christ do on earth? Well, he healed the sick. He encouraged people. When he found a lady in sin, where the men were ready to stone her, what did he do for her? He stopped the whole process, and he said, which of you are without sin? Let the first one then throw the stone, if you have no sin. But it's interesting, in that scenario, when, when they come and bring him and say, Jesus, what would you do in this situation? You're, uh, after all, you're, you're the son of God, so you know the law, right? The law of Moses is if you find a woman in adultery, you stone her. Let's go. 
So you know what he does? Quietly, he bends down and he starts writing on the ground. My opinion is he was writing each one of their sins. He was exposing them and they're looking at it and they're going, one by one, they walked away. Whichever one of you that don't have any sin, throw the first stone. In other words, we're all messed up. We all need help, right? And then he goes to the woman and he, he loves on her. He says, listen, just let go of the lifestyle. Let go of what you're, you're dealing with. You know, worse things can happen. But I love you. He goes to a woman, a Samaritan woman. And, and, he's, and he offers her the, the, the water that springs to everlasting life. He goes to the ten lepers and he heals them. He goes to a, a dead son and he raises them back to life. Just over and over we see who God is in Christ. God is love. Amen. See, we're the one that paints God in a negative light. You know why many times the world doesn't want to know God? Because if they believe, if they dare to believe that He's true, then that means we're accountable to God. I want to do whatever I want. Whatever I please, I just want to do. The moment I believe that God is real, that means God's Word is real. And that means we're accountable to Him. Because the Bible says we're made by Him and we're made for Him. So that means I, I, I'm not, I wasn't just created out of thin air. Almighty God created me. Now, how many of you here are parents? Right? Okay, okay, we're parents too. And you know, isn't it interesting that when your children go out there and do something, you know, crazy, and the principal calls you, how do you feel? <laughs> Can I get a, a couple of uh, words? Single that, how do you feel? Annoyed. Annoyed. Embarrassed. Embarrassed. You did, uh, disappointed, but you didn't do it. It was another human being. What happened? You taught him better than that, him better than that? But, but what do you care? It's another human being. It's not you. You didn't do it. He's my child. There's a connection there. You see my point? And in God, there is that divine connection. So we need to understand that we as creations of God, we're here representing him. And when we're doing whatever we feel, we're hurting people, we're killing people, we're maiming people, where we're lying and doing all sorts, he's going, he says, you're not representing me well, aren't you? So doesn't he have the same right as a parent to bring correction? Yes. That's right. But in the same way we respond to our parents, we mess up, we're in the principal's office, right? And our parent comes up to us, what in the world? You know, now you're going home, you're going to be grounded forever. What's our answer? It's one word that we say now. No, we don't say sorry. And we don't say Jesus. You know what we say? This is what we say. I'll tell you right now what we say. Whatever. That's what we say today. Whatever. In the old days, we would attempt to roll our eyes, and by the time our eyes went from the right to the left, what? <laughs> but now it, nowadays, you know, if, if you just look at a child the wrong way, oh, the, the government wants to come. But the bottom line is, is they have a right to bring correction. Isn't it true? Yeah. It's only legal if you bruise the child? Only, only, illegal. only illegal if you bruise them. So I have to learn how to give the, the without leaving a bruise? Yes. That's going to be kind of hard. <laughs> actually, actually, the, 
parents in the old days were very smart. You know why? They had a look. It was just a certain look. When they would come to the school, all they would go was like this. And that's it. That's it. You knew you were doomed for all eternity. You just knew it. The look still works? I, I, but with this, that's what I say today. They go, whatever. But, you know, isn't it interesting? We grow up now, and then we want to make sure that our children obey us. But when it comes time for God to give the look, my son, my daughter, you're out of order. We go to God, whatever. Yeah. Humanity right now is going, whatever. I'm not talking about believers. I'm talking about the world. Because we don't see him in that light. It's almost like a darkness has shrouded our minds. And we don't see the love of God. We don't see him as a heavenly father. You see, we, we don't respect him. We don't understand. He's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to bless us. And then we get into all sorts of trouble. And then we want to get angry at God. Yeah, we're the ones that, you know, created most of our problems, most of our issues. But he's not going to stop being heavenly father. He loves us too much. And he presents ourselves through Christ, as, as a God who is lavish and overflowing in His love. And that's the grace. We don't deserve it. Grace comes to us even when we didn't earn it. Praise God. Even though God is sufficient in Himself, He doesn't quote-unquote need us, but He wants a family. And He opens up His heart to us. Praise God. Then the next thing He does is that He paid the ransom for our mess. Because the Bible says in uh, Mark 10.45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So the Christmas story is, is a ransom story. It's a story where the Lord comes to ransom us. You know, you've heard these modern day ransom stories, and many of them true, where, um, I mean, we have people in this congregation right now some that are fellowshipping in the New Jersey congregation. And, and one of the guys told me a story, and I didn't know it. I, I knew him for about a year, year and a half, and then one day he shares a story with me. He wanted to get from his country of, uh, I, I think it was El Salvador, to New York to be with his family. He wanted to come in for a better life. And so he actually took a three-month trek, just walking, no money in hand, to get over to the United States. So he goes here, there, there, jumps over a wall, whatever it takes. But in the midst of it, he gets kidnapped. What? Yeah, he got actually kidnapped. And they held him there for a week or two, called the pastors of the church, and said, send us $2,000, or you'll never see your family member again. This actually happened. And these pastors had to send $2,000 to these people, and then they released them. And that's one reason why it took him three months to get here. And he explains how helpless he felt while he was being held captive. But thank God for a godly man or woman who loved that person enough to send a ransom to set this captive free. Now we, similarly, were in a mess. We were caught in sin. We were caught in a place where we could not access God because that would hinder us from accessing God. So God himself loving us, he says, I need to pay that ransom. 
And here's the problem. Man was the one who sinned, so man has to make it right. But God was the only one that could pay the ransom. Yes. But there was nobody on earth who could pay the ransom. Right. And, and God made it clear, on earth, man is in charge. So God could not come and, and pay the ransom. So you know what God had to do? I have to become man and pay the price. Right. So he, he left his throne above, emptied himself out, becomes the great kenosis, exactly, and becomes human, lives a perfect life, and becomes a, a, a sacrifice, a ransom, as it were, on the cross. So Christmas is a story of a ransom paid, a successful story. Because now he set us free. So when we come to Christ, what we're doing is we're receiving the ransom and receiving the grace necessary to be set free. He paid the ransom. Then the other thing he does, he comes to give sight to those who don't see I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about they don't see his love. They don't understand. In John 9, 39, it says, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. In John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me might not remain in darkness. So that's another thing that Christ did. That little baby boy, when he was born, he was destined to open up our eyes. He was destined to uh, take away the veil that separated us from Almighty God. It's not what I do that connects me to God. It's what I believe in that connects me to God. And it's believing in that atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing he does for us, he calls sinners to repentance. What's a sinner? One who missed the mark. The word sin is missing the mark. See, we, we, especially Hollywood, it, it distorts sin it distorted what god is saying you have lost your way I, I want you to have life and life in abundance but you've disconnected you've allowed the enemy to disconnect you from me see i mean i remember when i was i don't know i think it was probably 14 years old um i was very hurt very very angry that mom and da dad had separated so i thought it was my fault it's amazing you know parents do stuff and the kids think they're guilty yeah. and no they're innocent but they don't understand that but they were too much in their mess to, you know, to ad address me. So I got angry one day. I said, no, I'm going to deal. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring them back together, whatever it takes. So I ran away. Yeah, I ran away. I lost my way. Yeah, I did. I lost, lost my way. I ran away. And my goal was to stay away until they come back together again. And, and, you know, if they come back together, then I'll come back home. But then the problem was by 6 o'clock in the afternoon, I was very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so this thing didn't work out too well for me so I came back home they were still separated but at least I got to eat dinner <laughs> a stick and bag and all yeah exactly I don't even think they noticed I was gone frankly <laughs> but the truth <laughs> the truth of the matter is we lost our way and so God calls us back. When he's calling sinners to repentance, what, is he, what he's actually doing, he's calling his lost sons and daughters to come back home. We know that because when we see the prodigal son story, which is, by the way, an analogy that Jesus used to explain what happens when we leave his household. When we leave, we get all messed up. 
The prodigal son left, took his inheritance with him, spent it on crazy living. And then after a while, he's broke, busted, and disgusted. And he's desiring the house of the Lord. He's desiring, or rather, the house of his father. And he's living and eating with pigs. And he's saying, man, what am I doing? I'd rather be a servant in the house of my father than doing what I'm doing here. So when he comes back, you would expect that the parent would be angry and frustrated with him. No. The bottom line is the father had been looking for him all the time. And when he saw the son from afar, immediately the father runs to the son and grabs him and hugs him. See, that's how, how much God loves you. That's how much God is looking for you. It's not that he's a passive God and, and you have to break through and push and push and push and finally find him. You see, Hollywood does that also. You, know, you try to find God and you have to go through 500 hoops. No, the, hulo, the hoops and the hurdles have been taken away. I was going to say the hulums. <laughs> the hoops and the hurdles have been taken away. The minute we say, okay, God, I want you, he's running at you yeah. to grab you. Amen, what does amen. he do? He puts the robe around him immediately. And that robe is symbolic of the robe of righteousness. He, he clothes him yes. with, with the, the, the authority and influence yes. to come back home. Yes. Then he puts the signet rim back on him, identifying that he is a son. Yes. He is a prince and he belongs in the home. So it was a matter of just that, of him opening up his eyes and realizing, you know, I need to be home. So when we come to God through Christ, all we're doing is going back home. See, so he loves us and he calls us back home. And lastly, Christmas and the reason why Jesus was born is because God came to give us grace. That word grace is help. That word grace is, is, is a favor that comes upon us where we're helped when we're not able to do it on our own. Amen. My God. Verse 16, it says about this grace, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So the final thing is, God didn't just come to show us grace, but he came to give us grace. But here's the thing with grace. We need to receive it. Yes. We need to receive it. Let me give you the next point of that story. It says, the angel told him, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. Say with me, good news. Good news, good news of a great joy which will come to all people, for you... For to you is born this day in the town of David a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And this is the sign. Remember I told you the sign? Look at the sign because I haven't finished. The sign which you'll recognize him in this. You'll find a baby swaddled. Swaddling clothes lying on a manger. In the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit. And suddenly they realize, oh my God, I'm in sin. Oh my God, uh, you know, we have to do something. You know, it's the first thing they did. They hid themselves. Mm -hmm. They knew they were exposed yes. to the elements. Yes. You know what God did? God went and killed probably a lamb, got the skins and clothed them. He did a favor for them. He expressed grace to them and covered their what? Their nakedness. Now, flip side, we go to the New Testament. Now we have a baby that can't do anything, that can't do anything for himself. So what God does, he raises up a human that in the same way covers the little baby with a diaper. Amen. You see, that's the story of Christmas when you can't do it for yourself, but God comes in and helps you. 
And that was the sign that God was saying, now I'm doing this for all of humanity. And I myself, I'm giving you the, the, the example. I'm, I'm giving you the model. I'm coming to clothe you, uh, to clothe you with righteousness, to clothe you with my clothing, to clothe you with my presence. And I'm coming down myself to model the very story. I did it in the Old Testament, and I'm doing it in the New Testament. I'm partnering with humanity. I'm partnering with Mary, and I'm coming forth on the scene. And the first thing they see is how the grace of God the tender mercies of God clothes us. He said, this is a sign. Say, say with me, sign. sign. We're exposed to the elements. We're exposed to anything that could harm or destroy us. Even the atmosphere didn't smell too well. But yet right there, there was the little baby signifying God wants to tabernacle with you. God wants to tabernacle in your home. God wants to tabernacle with you in the business. God wants to tabernacle with you wherever you are. He wants to tabernacle with you in, in your family, in your life. He wants to cover you with his presence. He wants to cover you with his goodness. He wants to cover you with his grace. He wants to cover you with his favor. So Christmas isn't about just giving gifts and stuff like that. We, we take this gift thing to remember that Christ being the main gift. But somewhere along the line, we've lost this thing. Yes. If I can just be number one at Walmart at four in the morning. <laughs> that's not what Christmas is about. They step all over themselves, people running in, and there's a head right there. Oh, I don't care. Don't that's not what it's about. Christ is, uh, is and Christmas, it's the greatest story. But it's not just a story. It's an event and a journey and a process. When I see Christ, a little child there, like these, these shepherds, they saw this, oh my God. And then the kings came or, or these businessmen came in and what did they do? They, they immediately unloaded gifts to this child. But the truth of the matter is it's not about the gifts. It's about the child and what the child represented and continues to represent today for you and for me and for future generations. So say to your neighbor, the most important thing of Christmas is Christ.